guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well as well. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really happy that we're kind of getting into summer. I know like I know a lot of other people, especially people that live in colder places than where we live, are probably feeling the same thing. But I am, I don't know, for some reason this year, maybe it's because we've all been cooped up inside, but I'm really happy about it being May and we're kind of marching on towards summertime, which even though it's hot, is really one of my favorite times of year. So yeah, I'm happy about that. That's my bright spot this week. Me too. Oddly though, today it was like a high of 70 or maybe, and we went on a bike ride tonight and it was like 67 degrees and I had to put a sweater on, which, you know, I was fully prepared to put one on anyway, but it was just the weirdest thing because it's been getting so much warmer. And then we have this weird cold day and my mind doesn't know what to think. So I'm like, Oh, I can't wait for hot apple cider and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. I'm like wrong season, Melissa, we're going the wrong yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. We have a long way to go before we get there. <laughs> So even though we have been doing this podcast almost three years now, sometimes we come across stories that still really amaze me when it comes to the lengths that people will actually go to to hurt another human being or to somehow make their life way more, you know, complicated than it needs to be. So the psychology behind some of the stories we tell is what's really fascinating to me. It really does blow me away seeing what people who appear normal on the outside are actually capable of doing. So this week, we're discussing a twisted story that took place across the pond in Stowe, Buckinghamshire, England. And before we get into the story, we're going to tell you a little about where it took place in this week's segment of We Googled This City. So Buckinghamshire, or Bucks as those in the know call it, is located in southeastern England and as of 2018 has an estimated population of around 808,000 residents. I guess the UK and England are like, we're not even bothering with the census, we're just going to estimate our residents. (laughs) Tell me if I'm wrong, I'm sure I'm wrong. So if I'm being honest, and this should come as a surprise to exactly no one, I don't know a ton about towns, townships, counties maybe, across the pond. So today we're going to talk mostly about England and less about the bucks. As kids, a popular nursery rhyme a lot of us sang was London Bridges Falling Down. And like a lot of nursery rhymes, this one likely came from a very dark place. More than a thousand years ago, the Saxons used boats and ropes to tear down the London Bridge. And thus, a song we sing to small children was born. One of the more recognizable sites in England is something that I thought was called the Big Ben Clock. You're familiar with the Big Ben Clock, right? I am. Yes, but no. Actually, Big Ben is not the name of the clock, but it's actually the name of the bell that's attached to it. The tower itself is named St. Stephen's Tower. But is that's what you always think of, right? Big Ben clock. It's yeah. not the clock, Mandy. It's the bell. Everyone's learned something this week. You yeah. finally have something you've learned. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm okay with that because it's fine. But yeah, I would definitely have thought it was the actual clock itself. I really can't wait to correct somebody when... In my lifetime, no one will ever say to me something about Big Ben's clock. And I say, actually, (laughs) it's the bell you're referring to, sir or madam. So while everyone else has to send in forms and pay a bunch of money and take what looks like a proof of life photo just to get a passport, the Queen of England has to do exactly none of that because she doesn't even need a passport. While Queen Elizabeth II has traveled to over 100 different countries for various queenly duties, she is not required to have a passport, and that's because passports are issued in her name. So it is kind of silly to be like, hey, lady, do you have a passport? And she's like, sure, it's me, and I'm the one that issued it. 
it, it's a weird thing. But you would think like, how, how, how does that work? Do I sound stupid? I sound stupid. No. But <laughs> it is a weird thing to be like, okay, everyone else, we need to check everything on your, you know, baggage, luggage, all that stuff. Although I guess she also probably flies private. But um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um that she doesn't have to have a passport. So, Mandy, I have to ask Scorsese, Spielberg, why aren't they making movies where someone gets prosthetics, maybe even plastic surgery to look like the queen? boards planes without a passport land somewhere else blows things up in the name of the queen boom bada bing i just got 300 million dollars in their pockets yeah (laughs) (laughs) because if they don't do it we know that adam sandler is going to have his own movie called queen granny and it will basically be a mrs doubtfire situation with kevin james starring as queen granny who just wants to get home to his kids but his wife works for or is kidnapped by the british parliament and this is the only way to do it Plus, there'll be lots of fart jokes, and we'll all claim we won't watch it, but we will because we've all reached the end of Netflix. Hashtag Queen Granny 2020. That was a wild ride. <laughs> Please okay. help me out of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there are two victims in the story that we are discussing today, but it makes the most sense to start this particular story by introducing the con artist behind each of their deaths. And this will kind of help explain how these two terrible tragedies occurred in the first place. Benjamin Field was born on October 27, 1990, to his parents, Ian and Beverly. His father was a Baptist minister, so Benjamin was raised in a home with a very heavy religious influence, and he was raised with those ideals. And on the surface, he was very charming, caring, and he was thought to be a very religious person. When Ben got older, he became a deputy church warden. So duties of a church warden include being responsible for the day-to-day functions of the parish, including administration, plant operations, and personnel, and they are responsible for the maintenance of the church, but also helping to keep the church as a whole running smoothly. Those who knew Ben said that he was nice, but he was also a little quirky. One friend said that Ben was, quote, always a bit odd, like lovable odd, which I feel like we all know somebody like that that maybe is a little... You find things in them that you think are strange, but they become endearing after a while. So that was kind of what this particular person thought about Ben. Is that a roundabout way to saying that about me, Mandy? (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to keep moving right along. (laughs) So Ben had aspirations of obtaining a PhD and he attended the University of Buckingham. It was there that he first met one of the victims in this story. In 2011, Ben was taking an English literature class at the university that was taught by Peter Farker. Peter was a seasoned English professor who had dedicated over 35 years of his life to the field of education. Part of what made him such a great professor was that he often became very close with his students and they would sometimes develop lifelong friendships with him. Students loved taking his classes because he was so good at sparking a real interest in literature and poetry in his students, and he always recognized and appreciated their potential. Although he was very kind and well-liked, he wasn't a pushover, and one of his co-workers said that Peter would, quote, be absolutely withering if you tried to be silly. Mandy, did you have any professors or teachers like this, especially in the English department? I feel like you have these people who are really inspiring. Did you have any in high school or whenever that were you especially liked? I did. Yeah. So in high school, the school that I attended, we did block scheduling. So some people might be familiar with that, but it's where for half of the school year. So one semester you take 
the same four classes, just four classes a day. And then in the other half of the year, you switch and you take another four classes for the last half. So at one point, I think it was in my junior year, I was in the Academy of Law and Government at my school. So I had to take a lot of like law and government classes. And they, you know, there was only so many teachers who taught those classes. And then one of them also taught history. So there was the first semester I had three classes with the same teacher. You know, I just, oh, was, wow. yeah. So I was in this, I was in this teacher's class all day long, pretty much, except for first period, but then second, third and fourth, I was in with the same teacher. So of course, over, over the course of that semester, you know, me and that teacher kind of became, I say, buddy, buddy, probably not. This teacher was just being very nice to me and <laughs> had to put up with me for like the entire day. So, um, but it was, it's nice though, to develop that kind of relationship with a teacher. So I can totally understand, you know, where, Peter's students, you know, in this story would kind of get close to him if they were able to develop that kind of relationship, because that is kind of what I did. But I think it was more for me because I was just in, I was in that class, you know, I was in that teacher's class for so many periods a day, but yeah, I did. So I always have fond memories of that teacher. I'm trying to intentionally be vague because I don't want Eh. to like call out that teacher, even though it was a great teacher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had a teacher like that in high school, um, an English teacher. I only had her one time actually because I transferred to that school my senior year and she was an English teacher and everybody loved her. And um, she, I remember still to this day, two books that we read, A Yellow Raft in Blue Water and Ordinary People. And I want to go back and reread those, but I remember it was one of those teachers that you love their class so much that you I mean, also it's me, so this is probably partially just being me. You wanted to come prepared and you wanted to have read everything and you wanted to participate because she made it so much more than just reading to read. Like you read to understand and to discuss the characters and it was really probably my favorite class in high school and I wish I had had her several years. Anybody that went to that school would know exactly who I was talking about because she was just so great. And I think that's like such an important thing, especially for English professors, to be able to teach you to read, not teach you to read, but like to enjoy the book and to get into it. I, I just loved it. Yeah. So back to the story. Peter was born on January 3rd, 1946 in Edinburgh and was raised in London. He obtained his degree from Churchill College at University of Cambridge and went on to find work at Manchester Grammar School and later at Stowe School, where he was the head of the English department. Between these two jobs, he put in 34 years of teaching, and in 2004, he retired from Stowe School so that he could focus his efforts on writing books. It was during this time that he took a part-time teaching position at the University of Buckingham. Authoring books was going actually really well for Peter during his retirement. His first book was published in 2010, and it was called Between Boy and Man, and in 2012, he published a second book called A Bitter Heart. His third and final book was published in July of 2015, and it was called A Wide, Wide Sea. Peter had many friends, but he never settled down and got married or had children, largely in part to the fact that he struggled with his sexuality throughout his life. Peter was a very religious man, and he struggled to accept that he was gay because it did not line up with his faith. All throughout his life, Peter was attracted to younger men, so at some point he decided that he would just live a life of celibacy. The many friends and colleagues of Peter described him as having a tenacity and intelligence, but knew that he was very emotionally lonely. One of his co-workers said he was, quote, fragile, formal, yet friendly, precise, but not pedantic. He had an attractive warmth mixed with intellectual rigor, end quote. And by the way, the quotes in this story are some of my favorites because in 
America, a lot of times you hear them say, he was very nice. Right. He yeah. had a lot of friends <laughs> in this. They're like, let's just get the thesaurus out. We're going to go crazy. It was in 2011 when Benjamin Field enrolled in one of Peter's classes at the university and quickly befriended him. Their friendship continued to develop for two more years, and in October of 2013, Ben told Peter that he had fallen in love with him. Prior to this, Ben identified as a straight man and had relationships with many women, but he convinced Peter that he was no longer interested in women and wanted to be with him. At the time, Peter was 68 years old and Ben was just 25. As we said before, Peter had lived his life entirely celibate and had resisted his desires to have relationships that did not fit with his religious beliefs, but he was a very lonely man and he agreed to enter into this relationship with Ben. The following month, Ben moved into Peter's home and then on Peter's 68th birthday, Ben actually proposed to him. The couple went through a betrothal ceremony in March of 2014. Peter did a lot of writing and he kept a journal and in one of his entries, he wrote, quote, the betrothal is one of the happiest moments of my life. Gone are the days of dying alone. The couple began sharing a bed and their relationship escalated to a sexual one, at least to some degree. By November of 2014, Peter had updated his will to include Ben in it. He actually wrote him in for 15,000 pounds, which would be the equivalent of $19,000 in U.S. money, as well as ownership of his Manor Park home. However, there were stipulations on this house, and Ben would only be able to take possession of it if he had lived there for at least two years prior to Peter dying. On the outside, it would appear that Peter was happy to have finally found somebody to spend his time with, but under the surface, there were some pretty frightening and abusive behaviors taking place. Almost immediately after Ben moved in, he began reading through Peter's letters and his journals and was gathering information, these personal thoughts that Peter was writing down in his journals, and Ben was taking that and kind of using it to figure out what Peter was thinking and what he was doing at all times. Yikes. Yeah. So Ben would intentionally ignore and act indifferent towards Peter for weeks at a time, and then he would start giving him attention and affection again, and this was all really part of this head game and manipulation tactic that Ben was using on Peter. But then in January of 2015, Ben began using more than just emotionally abusive tactics to manipulate Peter. He actually began secretly drugging him and started gaslighting him. Ben would often put bioethanol and poteen, which are just alcohols, in Peter's drinks, and he would lace his food with drugs or slip him benzodiazepines and hallucinogens, all really for no reason other than to just torment Peter. He would put the drugs, which he purchased on the internet, inside of Peter's toast, his tea, and he would put it in broken up pieces of chocolate. At one of Peter's book launches, Ben drugged Peter with a hallucinogen, which caused Peter to become really frail and confused, and he became really apologetic while he struggled to sign these books, and he couldn't even sit up straight in his chair. And of course, this was a really embarrassing thing for Peter to go through. When Ben would give Peter drugs, they would often have such severe effects on him that he had trouble standing, and he fell down a lot and always had bruises on his face from these falls. These head games that Ben played didn't end there. He did many other things to intentionally confuse Peter and make him feel like he was in fact losing his mind. And we're going to get right into some more of the cruel things that Ben did to Peter after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. 
One thing my husband and I have been putting off doing is putting together our wills. We've talked about what we would want to happen in a worst case scenario, things like where we want our kids to go if we passed away, and even those decisions people have to make in the hospital when a loved one isn't able to make healthcare decisions for themselves, but we didn't have any of it in writing. And guess what? Without it being in writing, it really doesn't mean anything in the eyes of the law. That's why I'm so happy we're partnering with Trust and Will to both share with you guys as well as to create my own. Trust and Will provides an easy to use website. So even if the only thing you know going into starting your trust or will is that you want something in place, if anything should happen to you, Trust and Will guides you every step of the way. It takes just 15 minutes to finish an online will or trust starting at $69, plus free printing and shipping of your documents in beautiful folders to keep your documents safe. Plus, all wills and trusts include power of attorney and important health documents. I went to the Trust and Will website and the prompts were easy to understand and asked me simple questions to help decide what I needed to choose to have both peace of mind for myself and for my family. My biggest concern is having my kids cared for in case something would ever happen. So it was a huge weight off my shoulders to complete this process. I also appreciated that since my husband and I have different wishes in certain healthcare situations for ourselves, we were able to specify what we'd want and no one would ever have to guess on our behalf. Visit trustandwill.com slash momsmurder to automatically receive 10% off your purchase of a trust or will-based estate plan. Again, visit trustandwill.com slash momsmurder to automatically receive 10% off your purchase of a trust or will-based estate plan. I am a creature of comfort, which means as often as I can, I will be hanging out in my sweats and socks. But wouldn't it be great if you could have the same comfortable feeling in a bra? Now you can with Third Love. That's because Third Love designs their bras to fit you, not the other way around. Third Love bras are designed using measurements for millions of women, and they have over 80 bra sizes, so you know there's something to fit every size and shape. My Third Love bra is the best bra I've ever owned, hands down, and it's not even close. And after you have a great bra, there's really no going back, which is why I now own three. I love them so much, I convinced my mom and sister to give them a try, and they are both believers as well. With Third Love, you take a quick Fit Finder quiz, which I took, and is super fun and easy, and the answers you give really help you find the perfect fitting bra. If the bra you order doesn't fit, that's okay, because Third Love donates all of their gently used return bras to women in need, which supports charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. To date, Third Love has donated over $15 million in bras. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. Now back to the episode. Before the break, we were starting to get into the details of the horrible torment that Benfield started to inflict on Peter Farker after convincing him to start a romantic relationship. Ben would do all sorts of terrible things just to make Peter feel like he was losing his mind. He would actually move things around in Peter's house and then wait for Peter to get frustrated when he wasn't able to find them. When Peter would get upset, Ben would magically find the missing item and look like the hero. That's a terrifying thing to think that somebody's just messing with you in your own house and you're like, oh, I put my coffee cup here and you can't find it. And then that person finds it in the bathroom and you think, well, I wouldn't have put it in the bathroom. Why is it in the bathroom? Well, I must be, you know, forgetting. I must not realize because the alternative is to think somebody's hiding it from you. And who's going to think that? That's Yeah, that's just so much to take in. So as the situation continued to get more and more confusing and scary, Peter kept writing in his journal, which of course we know Ben was actually reading. So he wrote about the terrible time he was having and said that he was having night terrors and hallucinations. He also told his friends that he'd been sleepwalking and felt like he was losing his mind. 
When friends of Peter would speak to Ben, they would be told that Peter was really sick or that he'd been drinking a lot. And this was really a very believable thing to say since all of Peter's friends had already thought that Peter appeared to be confused or drunk a lot of the time. Peter decided to try to get help, and he spoke to numerous doctors, including a neurologist, and he had several different medical tests, which revealed nothing out of the ordinary. Ben would even call these doctors and tell them that Peter was a frequent faller and that he was most likely suffering from dementia, which is interesting that he's telling doctors he thinks he's suffering from dementia. Yeah. You know, that there's not really medical records saying that, but I don't know. It just shows how much in control he was of the situation, I think. So after a while of this mental torture and anguish, Peter began contemplating taking his own life. Throughout all of this, Ben kept notes and sent emails to himself with updates on how Peter was doing. But Ben wasn't too busy to find yet another elderly person to take advantage of. In June of 2015, while living with Peter, Ben met a woman named Anne Moore Martin, She was 83 years old and lived just three doors down from Peter's house. Like Peter, Anne was also vulnerable and lonely and therefore was another perfect target for Ben's twisted games. As soon as Ben met Anne, he began trying to get her to give him 300,000 pounds or 376,000 US dollars. And he started manipulating her by bringing her cards and gifts and started looking up things online about having sex with an elderly person and even had Anne watch a movie with him in which the plot involved a relationship between an older woman and a younger man. So this is all very disturbing that he is going to these lengths to do this to an elderly woman or an older man, as in the case of Peter. Yeah. And, and there's no, like, there's no real reason to go this far. I mean, I understand that I guess his end motive was to get money or to get written into their wills, but this is so much, you know, there's more to it than just that. It's not just about the money. It's about, he got some kind of pleasure from doing this to these people. So Ben wrote and numerous letters and notes and poems. And in one letter, he said, quote, I have not said, as perhaps I should, that I desire you and desire to woo you, that my earnest hope is that you would see me as I see you. I see you as a beautiful, fun, lovely, insightful woman of faith and grace. So at this point, he is still living with Peter and having Peter believe that they are in this loving relationship together. Which, P.S., isn't that kind of a dangerous plan that you're three doors down from someone who you're also trying to manipulate? Like, it feels like that could go awry very, very quickly. Or you could get definitely found out a lot easier. Right. In the middle of September in 2015, Peter changed his will again and set it up so that in the event of his death, Ben would now get 20,000 pounds or 25,000 US dollars, and he would be able to inherit the house regardless of how long he had been living there. So as we said, keep in mind this entire time, Peter believes that Ben actually cares about him and that they are in a committed relationship. And this is, of course, really the first relationship Peter as a 68 year old, you know, has even ever had before. So this is already a huge leap of faith for Peter to even get into a relationship with anyone at all. And then he is really thinking that Ben cares about him and this is the person who's going to take care of him in the end of his life. So he has no idea that Ben has been drugging him or causing any of these problems that he's been having. In early October of that year, Peter spent five days in a nursing home. And since Ben wasn't able to drug him there, it was really the first time in a while that Peter was able to think clearly and he felt much better while he was there. Once Peter was released and allowed to go back home, Ben resumed the abuse, 
only now there was no reason for him to wait any longer to pull off his ultimate plan since he could get into Peter's house without waiting any longer now that Peter had changed the will again. Wow. On October 25th, 2015, Ben gave Peter a sedative and got him to drink a lot of whiskey. When Peter was thoroughly intoxicated, Ben suffocated him to death and staged the crime scene to look as though Peter had died of alcohol poisoning. He left a half-empty bottle of whiskey next to Peter and left him dead in his bed. The next day, Peter's cleaner came over and found his body there. The coroner came and assessed the scene and determined that Peter's cause of death was acute alcohol intoxication. Ben delivered the eulogy at Peter's funeral, and in July of 2016, he finally received the 20,000 pounds that was willed to him. I cannot take it whenever people who are involved in these crimes, and it has to be like a they think they're above the law, but give the eulogy for the person that they've killed. You know? I know. That's like another level of narcissism almost because like, you know what you did and you don't have to do that. He could have said like, no, I don't, or, or you know, ask someone else to do it. I'm too overcome with emotion or anything. Right. You could say something, but to be like, no, I got it. it. It it doesn't compute with me. But you see that a lot where people kind of just say, yeah, sure, I'll do it or whatever. It almost it's- makes me wonder if they do it just as like another means of like, right. well, obviously I wasn't involved because look at mm-hmm. all these things, you know, look at all these things I'm doing that that don't go along with me being you know, involved in any way. And so I'm sure that has something to do with it. But yeah, you, you know, you, you don't have to do that kind of thing. You can just, I don't know what you can do, but. <laughs> now now you've just like, yeah, but it, it's like you've um, not soiled the memory of a funeral, but you've, you've taken this thing that people are remembering, you know, this wonderful person in their lives. And now that's another terrible memory because you've ruined that time of people celebrating this person's life with, you know, and then this guy is the one that gave it the eulogy. I don't know. It just is another thing that upsets me in the story. So as for the house, Ben spoke with Peter's family and they all agreed to sell the Manor Park home and split the money. Months later in December of 2016, Ben got his share of the house and collected 142,000 pounds, which is 178,000 US dollars. After Peter was out of the picture, Ben continued his efforts to take advantage of Anne. In November of 2015, Ben convinced Anne to begin a sexual relationship with him. From there, he began his campaign of emotional abuse and torment. He would stage breakups and reconciliations as a means of manipulating Anne and keeping her strung along. By mid-April of 2016, Ben began sleeping over at Anne's house. During this time that Anne was dating this much, much younger man, her family members noticed that Anne seemed to be acting like a love-struck teenager. She was head over heels for him. Once he finally had his hooks really good and deep into Anne, he began to take advantage of her financially. In May of 2016, Ben lied to Anne and told her that he needed a car, which he did not because he already had one. And she gave him 4,400 pounds or about 5,500 US dollars. So the idea was that he was going to use this money to purchase a car. However, instead of buying a new car, Ben pocketed the money and then went out of his way to get a rental car so that he could show Anne and make her think that he'd bought a new vehicle, which also, how does that make any sense? If you are still trying to be in communication with this person, well, eventually she's going to realize that you don't have that car anymore or like, it's so bold, these things that he is. is doing. And it's like, doesn't even think about how easy it is to get caught whenever you're doing all of these different things that you're doing, or maybe he didn't care. I don't, or he just thought that he was smart enough to not get caught. I guess the only thing I thought about that was if he thought he was going to kill her really quickly, then he could rent it for a couple of weeks and 
still have money left over. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if he was thinking long term or for a while, that wouldn't obviously make any sense. But none of it makes none of it makes any sense at all. It's just all bananas. Yeah. Several months later, Ben concocted an even bigger lie. He told Anne that his brother was very, very sick with a kidney condition that required him to have a dialysis machine. And Anne gave him 26,700 pounds, which is over 33,000 US dollars, so that he could buy a dialysis machine. She actually had to liquidate some of her assets in order to afford this. Wow. Ben continued to lead Anne to believe that he was a good and just person who only had these great intentions with her. In July of 2016, he gave her a photograph of himself in a frame that had the words, I am always with you on it. Ben started attending mass with Anne, even though he was not Catholic. But one of the stranger things that Ben did was that he gave Anne a hand counter. So like one of those, you know, whenever people are checking how many are going into a store and they're like clicking the little hand counter. So it was one of those. And he told her to click it whenever she thought of him. So he wants to get like an account of how many times a day Anne is thinking about him. That is just so weird, like all around for any relationship, but especially for this particular situation. I wonder if he really was keeping track of it. Like she's thinking less about me every day. I need to make my move or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know because I don't know what the purpose of that would be. Scientific experiments. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even say the word experiments, right? Scientific, whatever. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It just seems like another way to manipulate her, to control her, to make her think about him. She has to like do this extra thing when she thinks about him it's not just a thought there's a another aspect to it besides the thought you're making an action so there's he's constantly on her mind right so Anne actually loved this idea and she would write letters and notes to Ben and tell him you know just how much she was using this counter at one point Ben disappeared for a few days and Anne became really worried about him she wrote him a note that said quote I'm a bit concerned as I haven't heard from you since early this week I hope all is well with you. I know you are always so busy, but you usually manage to keep in touch so kindly with me, even for a short time. My hand tally counter is being used well, a minimum of 70 so far. Just to hear your voice is a delight. I do hope there is nothing wrong. All my love as always and forever. In the late summer of that year, Ben took things a step further and secretly photographed Anne while she was performing a sexual act. He actually said later that he planned to use these photos to blackmail Anne if he needed to in the future. Around the same time, he began to try manipulating the very religious woman by writing messages on her bathroom mirror that he wanted her to believe were messages from God. So he, there is just no boundary or line that he was not willing to go over. It's just so disgusting. The lengths that he went to, to, to manipulate this elderly woman. So these messages that he would write were often containing persuasion for Anne to change her will to include him. And eventually this worked. On October 20th, Anne did change her will. But in a fateful coincidence, the attorney who dealt with the will was the same one who had dealt with Peter's will. And we're going to get right back into what happened next after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. I've been looking at ways to cut down our monthly expenses. Boring, I know, but stay with me. The bill that bugs me the most is how much I'm paying for my cell phone bill. But to be honest, I'm a creature of habit and was really scared to make a change. 
I use my phone a lot every day from emails to social media to letting my son watch 15 minutes to 22 hours of YouTube on it a day. So if I'm going to make a switch, I need to save money, but still have reliable service. So I took the leap and switched to Mint Mobile, and I truly couldn't be happier with that choice. Mint Mobile helps you cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. If you compare that to what you're paying now, you're probably asking the same thing I did, which is how can Mint Mobile even provide any service with that price? Well, that's because Mint Mobile exists online, which means there are no retail stores or overhead. So all that they are saving is passed directly to you. Plus, you aren't paying for unlimited data you'll never use, so you can choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. My Mint Mobile plan was delivered right to my house, and there was even a link to a video to walk me through exactly how to make the switch. With Mint Mobile, I can keep my old phone and phone number, so all I had to do was watch a video that showed me, a simpleton, how to take the old SIM card out and put the new one in, and I was in business and saving money right away. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com moms. That's mintmobile.com moms. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about how Ben Field had caught the attention of an attorney when he tried to convince 82-year-old Anne to change his will. When this lawyer realized that it was Ben Fields once again being added to someone's will, he started putting the pieces together and figuring out that there was some sort of scam going on here. Thank goodness he noticed. Right? But I mean, come on, buddy. You're taking off people from the same road. They're going to have people in common. <laughs> like, it's a right. weird, I get it for the convenience issue, I guess, for him, but it is weird. They're, you're going to run into some kind of issue. But thank goodness this lawyer, like you were saying, like, paid attention and saw this name and realized something was going on. 
So the lawyer contacted Anne's niece, Anne Marie, and urged her to talk Anne out of changing her will, which worked temporarily, but by December of 2016, Ben got his way and Anne changed her will, even though she claimed she really didn't want to. She said she felt, quote, impelled to do so. Ben continued to write notes on Anne's mirrors and encouraged her to believe that they were some sort of divine spirit. I'd like to point out also that there's pictures of him in the mirror taking photos of these like letters that he's writing her or saying Anne change, you know, this is the will of God, that sort of thing. And you see his stupid face in these pictures taking these, you know, as proof or something that he just like loved that he did. I, I don't. I don't understand. I guess his they brain. were like little mini trophies to himself. Yeah. But this man took photos of everything he everything. did and he documented everything. He wrote emails to himself saying, you know, this is what I did today to so and so, or this is what I'm planning. Yeah. Or he would brainstorm and then send these emails to himself. And this is not that long ago. This is this is, you know, in 2016, 17. So this is not like a day and age where you're like, well, maybe nobody will find these. It's like, no, right. people are going to find these if something happens. They're going to immediately look and find everything that you have on your computer or in your emails. Yeah. Handwritten notes. He had everything. He had like timelines written out of different ways to do things. It is the weirdest thing to me that he kept track of all of this, but it could just be another, like you're saying, a trophy or something for himself. So in February of 2017, Anne suffered a stroke and was hospitalized. At that time, she told her niece that she had been in a relationship with Ben and that messages had been appearing on her mirror. Of course, alarm bells went off for Anne Marie and she contacted the police who opened an investigation. While Anne was in the hospital, Ben tried to visit her, but he was not allowed access. He also took the opportunity to go to Anne's house alone and clean up anything he believed would be evidence against him, I guess including these stupid notes he was leaving on the mirror. So when Anne was released from the hospital and allowed to go home, her niece Anne-Marie came to help and met Ben herself. She found him to be what she described as weird, and when she asked him point blank whether or not he had taken Anne's things, her money, or tried to get her to change her will, he admitted that he had. However, when Anne-Marie asked Ben if he was in love with Anne, he also said yes, which is what a liar does. After Anne had her stroke, her health was in a more fragile condition, of course. And in the months following her hospitalization, she began to realize what Ben had been doing to her this whole time. When she realized she'd been tricked, she really kind of beat herself up about it, which makes me feel so bad for this woman. And she felt stupid for letting it happen. Her niece said that she was, quote, tortured by it and found it very difficult to get her head around the betrayal. Thankfully, Anne was able to change her will again and remove Ben from it in a timely manner because she passed away just a few months later of natural causes on May 12, 2017, at the age of 83. Police were already looking into Ben's true motive and involvement with Anne before she died, and they realized that there was also a connection between Ben and Peter. Peter's body was exhumed for a second autopsy, and this time, a forensic pathologist named Dr. Brett Lockyer found that Peter had sedatives in his system, and his assessment was that Peter had died from the combined effects of alcohol and a sleep aid, which could have affected his breathing. The same doctor also found that Peter had been repeatedly exposed to sedatives in the months leading up to his death. The doctor could not rule out the possibility that Peter was not suffocated with a pillow. Ben was soon arrested in light of these new findings. Investigators searched through his home and found several pieces of evidence, including diaries, books about poisoning people, and books on planning suicide. 
They also found a list of 100 people that Ben felt might be useful in some way or possibly new targets of his fraud. Oh, my gosh. Just terrible. Among the names on the list were people from his father's church. Anne was on the list. And his own grandparents were even on the list. Wow. Ben documented his ideas when it came to how he was going to pull off his plots. In one of his notebooks, he listed ways that he could kill Anne. He wrote down, quote, heart attack, electrical device, dehydration, stare, sex, question mark, in the bath, question mark, OD on her prescriptions, church tower, sleep apnea. So with this much evidence against him, the case was really pretty cut and dry for the prosecution. While Ben was sitting in a police van following his arrest, the police actually secretly recorded him. He was heard talking about how he would, quote, get away with most of it. He was charged with fraud, murder, and burglary, as well as plotting to kill Anne. The burglary charges were from the summer of 2016. In July, Ben went into the home of a couple who had recently passed away and happened to be Anne's next-door neighbors, which would be four houses down from Peter's house, and he stole a bottle of alcohol. The following month, Ben broke into the home of an 83-year-old man and stole three antique rifles and a bayonet. In the course of the investigation, it was learned that Ben had occasionally sought the help of others in his vicious plans. A friend of his named Martin Smith was believed to have helped Ben gaslight Anne and Peter. He was charged with murder, plotting to kill Anne, fraud, and burglary, but he was actually found not guilty on all charges. Ben's brother Tom was also charged with fraud for helping Ben fake needing a dialysis machine to get money out of Anne. Ben was given a battery of psychological tests and psychiatrists found that he suffered from a personality disorder. One psychiatrist said he had dissocial personality disorder. Ben was also diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and found to have a, quote, lack of empathy, a callous lack of concern for the feeling of others, and an incapacity to experience guilt or to profit from experience, end quote. They said that Ben knew exactly what he was doing in a, quote, carefully planned and orchestrated way and was in full control of his own decision making, end quote. Ben went to trial on May 1st, 2019 in Oxford Crown Court and was overseen by Justice Sweeney. The trials for Ben, Martin, and Tom were actually all held together, but as we said, one was found not guilty and the other was found guilty on just one of the crimes. Prior to the trial, Ben pleaded guilty to four counts of fraud and two counts of burglary, and he pleaded not guilty to killing Peter and not guilty to plotting to kill Anne. The prosecution presented evidence that Ben gaslighted Peter and Anne and manipulated them to make them think that they were going crazy, and they provided examples in court, including a video that Ben had recorded of Peter after he drugged him heavily one night. They stated that Ben had a, quote, profound fascination in controlling and manipulating and humiliating and killing, and that he tried to make Peter feel crazy enough to want to take his own life. His plan nearly worked, but Ben ended up deciding to stage his murder to look like an accidental death or a suicide. Ben forced Peter to take drugs and alcohol, and then when he was too weak to fight back, Ben suffocated him. The prosecution also alleged that when Anne had her stroke and ended up in the hospital, it was due to one of Peter's attempts to kill her. Ben admitted in court that he intentionally fooled both Peter and Anne into thinking they were in a relationship so that he could get them to change their wills for him, but he was adamant that he had nothing to do with either one of their deaths. He took the stand in his own trial and said that he, quote, could manipulate and maneuver people, however skeptical they may have been, to achieve ends without ever asking them to do so directly, end quote. That is a scary thing. 
for him to say like that he's aware that he can do this. Terrifying, but thank goodness he was caught. Oh my goodness, because obviously somebody like that's not going to stop. Yeah, it's just horrifying. He also said that he was, quote, able to build pressure on his victims to believe what he needed them to believe and then do whatever he needed them to do, end quote. He told the court that he found it amusing to torture Peter. The jury deliberated for 77 hours and eventually they found Ben guilty of killing Peter, but not guilty of plotting to kill Anne. On October 18th, 2019, Ben was sentenced to life in prison with a chance for parole after 36 years. The justice that presided over the case said Ben was, quote, a well-practiced and able liar and said he had no doubt that Ben was a dangerous offender, doubling down on this stance by calling Ben a, quote, snake talker. Yikes. So, yeah. So the judge definitely saw right through his entire defense and, you know, him saying, yes, I admit that I manipulated them, but I didn't kill them. Well, that doesn't really it doesn't really line up or match, you know, because why would you do any of these things? Right. Why wouldn't if, you just? It's just terrible. Yeah. You would just steal all along instead of, you know, the whole will thing. The interesting thing to me is that he got him, got Peter to change his will from two years to, you know, right away. And it's almost like Peter, you know, I don't know that this to be true, but if Peter was nervous because he had not ever really been in a relationship before and thought maybe there should be, or maybe his attorney thought there should be a specified amount of time, maybe, you know, he was nervous in general in this relationship. It was a whole new thing for him. And then it makes me sad that Ben was able to manipulate him into trusting him, this thing he hadn't been able to really do his whole life. It just makes me sad that these people really were depending on him and and really were lonely and and he took advantage of that for money, I guess, and control and he just went way above what he needed to do to get get his end goal, I think. He went way Absolutely. way to crazy crazy places. But I uh, yeah, and I, it just fascinates me, sorry, that he documented all this stuff. Like you were saying, this only happened a few years ago. You know that if you have this stuff out, you they're going to find it on your computer. They're going to find it on your hard drive. They're going to find it in your phone. And this guy, everything he was writing down, sending emails to himself. Just obviously he wanted trophies, but I just, my brain cannot handle it, Mandy. I can't understand it. I know. I know. I, it, this is one of the ones that really got to me just because there are elderly people involved and it just breaks my heart so much when the elderly get taken advantage of, especially in this kind of way. And right. especially if it if it results in their murder or the end of their life because of something that somebody else did, just being a greedy person. I think when it comes to this guy, Ben, I think there was more to it than just just the money factor. I think he just really enjoyed like that's what he said. He found it amusing to torture Peter. I think he just was sick and he did it because he got some kind of pleasure out of inflicting this type of pain and this type of harm on these elderly individuals. And yeah, it's just completely sick and disgusting. And I'm so glad that that attorney caught on yeah. and recognized the name and, and realized that, you know, he was being, he was committing fraud and that he realized there was something bigger going on there. Yeah. So that was the story for this week. Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and move on to last thing before we go? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So our first question, Melissa actually posted on Instagram and we don't often ask on Instagram for last thing before we go. I don't think we ever have. So we got a ton of suggestions on Instagram 
And some we've already answered and some we haven't. So the one that I wanted to talk about, the Instagram handle is N underscore Carrie, I think, underscore. So she wants to know baby names that we loved but didn't use. And I thought that was going to be a good one. I don't think we've ever talked about baby names that we used to like that we didn't get a chance to use. I don't think so. But at this point, it's been three years. So if we have or almost three years, I bet other people have forgotten, too. So go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So I, as we've said before on the show, I have two boys. So of course, most of the names I did not get an opportunity to use are girl names. When I was pregnant with my first baby, I really wanted a little girl. That was just always my dream to have a little girl. I love my boys. Don't get me wrong. So I really wanted to name, if he was not a boy, his name would have been Lillian. And I always loved the name Lillian. And I love the name. I love Lily, you know, for short. And then when I got pregnant the second time, I was also hoping that I would have a girl since I had a boy. And then he was another boy. So I didn't get to use the name Avery, which was going Hmm. to be his name if he was a girl. So yeah, those are my two. Yeah. And I didn't really have options for boys. I already knew before I ever got pregnant that if I had a boy, I wouldn't use the names that I used yeah. and and I did. So, so that was that. So I didn't really have a lot of boy names I threw around. I pretty much already knew I had those nailed down early. Yeah. So my daughter, thank God she was not a boy because I was watching a lot of Tori and Dean in love. It was a reality show about Tori Spelling and her husband, Dean McDermott, and they had a son and they named him Liam. So I love the name Liam. I still love the name Liam, but I would have had to tell my daughter, I named you after Liam from <laughs> Tori Spelling <laughs> and her husband's uh, like bed and breakfast show that they had. So thank God for that. My son ended up having a name that boys and girls have, and I liked it for either either one. So his name, I landed on pretty easily. I like the name Violet for another girl. That was one that I really, really liked. And I don't think we had a lot else. I remember my husband and I shaking hands when we decided our daughter's name because we just kept going around and around in circles. So (laughs) it was very official, official business. So I like that question. That's a good one. The next question is from Carly and she follows us on Instagram and Twitter and she's the nicest. She always reposts our stuff. She's just really, really sweet. So her question is, someone asked me this during an interview. If you were a kitchen appliance, what would you be and why? I'm going to be the fridge because it's everyone's favorite. Oh, whoa. (laughs) So, man, uh, we think very differently of ourselves because I was thinking I would be a garbage disposal because I'm (laughs) always taking in trash and people treat me terribly. So there you go, Mandy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I was trying to think of, you know, of the other appliances and and think of how I could apply those to my life. And then I decided, like, I don't want to be a dish washer I mean I already am that like you know, right so I didn't want to be that and then I mean I guess like the oven is okay or like the stove but I don't know there's just there's nothing really exciting about it that the refrigerator is where all the excitement is and if you have kids then you'll know how true that is because they can't stop opening it and closing it and looking in there and hoping things will appear in there so it's just a, a, a very exciting appliance the refrigerator gets a lot of attention and that's why I would like to be the refrigerator <laughs> this no wonder somebody asked her this in a job interview this has been eye-opening um but have you ever <laughs> Mandy put a fork inside of a dish or a garbage disposal on accident you're telling me that's not exciting that's exciting yeah. times <laughs> you think your eye is going to get shot out good times have by all 
Yeah, yeah. It's probably exciting for the garbage disposal, but not so much. <laughs> Which the is me. Yay. And I get to eat all the time. It's really perfect for yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like those choices um, of ours didn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that question. That was really good. So, we yeah. are going to play the promo for Resolved Mysteries podcast. If you haven't listened to them before, make sure you listen to the promo and then subscribe because they're a really great show. And then this week we were on our friend Rebecca's show, Dialogue Podcast. I don't like how I said that, but it's spelled out Dialogue. So that's where I was coming from saying that. If you guys want to check that out, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to her show. We got to talk about a lot of fun little things and things about our personalities never a garbage disposal you know I think Rebecca's really gonna have to add that to her list of questions of asking people about kitchen appliances so that is it for this week Mandy all right guys we will see you next week at the same time same place with a news story (laughs) (laughs) I screwed that up this time (laughs) I, I felt it in in my spirit all right have a great week bye Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries Podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about weird shit like Bigfoot, this is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolve Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.